I am mining investor and editor of Resource Stock Digest, Gerardo Del Real, here with my partner, Mr. Nick Hodge, who's also an investor and the publisher of Daily Profit Cycle. This is the 256th episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call Investing in Bizarro World. We're going to talk markets. We're going to talk what we see developing. We're going to talk about some of the crazy stuff that always goes on all around us. But before we get to that, as always, Senor Hodge, how goes you today, sir? We're getting through winter, Gerardo. Something about a shadow and a animal that digs in the ground. I don't know. But um, Super Bowl was great. It was super exciting. But we don't know who won because we recorded this before the Super Bowl happened. But um, yeah, doing well, Gerardo. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm great. Listen, if you if you believe the the some of the conspiracy theories out there, I mean, Kansas City has to have one. You have T Swift, right? Um, you have uh, Mr. Kelsey, the boyfriend. Um, you have Patrick Mahomes. You have America's sweetheart. I mean, how could they possibly lose this game, right? This would be a marketing coup for the NFL. They already have managed to pull off getting Taylor Swift to piss off half of the football country reinvigorate the other half of the football country and they got all of the Swifties checking out the NFL every Sunday. No it it is such a sign of our times. How polarizing a sweet, talented, fierce businesswoman. Do not get it messed up. That woman is a boss on the business side of things. But how's uh, the sweet talented like all I see her do is dancing and celebrating everybody in public anyway how polarizing someone like this is in 2024 in America. It boggles the mind that with two wars we're fighting simultaneously, or at the very least backing by proxy, right? Financially, directly. Um, a third, what, what was the word? An extended operation? Campaign. Word? Yeah, that thing. Um, look, there's boots on the ground. They're blowing shit up. That's a war in my book. Call me, call me old-fashioned, right? So we have three going on. We have two or three that are simmering behind the scenes. And what everybody wants to be upset about is Taylor Swift. Bob was the mind. We got, we got borderline genocide uh, in the Middle East. However you feel about that conflict, that is what's happening. When one side loses 3,000 and the other side loses 30,000, um, and there's zero accountability on the human rights violation side of things, nobody's even really willing to look. And again, I'm not choosing sides here. I'm stating facts. This is just what's happening on the ground out there. When you got all that to be upset about, our Senate just once again failed to pass an immigration bill, right? The, the, the same bill that the Republicans proposed. Uh, they then went ahead and said, no, 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 no. We don't want that bill anymore because now you're going to take credit for it. We want to take credit for it if we win the election. That should upset you. War where innocent people die on all sides should upset you. Um, the fact that our economy has, has been gutted, our middle class economy has been gutted um that should upset you nah let's get pissed off about taylor swift that's my rant that i'm leading with everybody <laughs> not scripted but got me going well the populace needs a distraction gerardo you know whether it's bread and circuses or it's um religion which some have called the opiate of the masses and Religion is not as popular as it once was. If you look at the studies and the polls, uh, spirituality is on the uprise and religion is on the decline. So uh, people need something to, you know, direct their anger at, and they're not good at directing it at the true causes. And so you get um, tribalism and such. And 
um, Taylor Swift, I guess, is one of the tribes. So instead of, you know, walking around with the Bible on the top of your head, you could have this fourth turning because some of this is described uh, within the pages. Um, what was I going to say? Taylor Swift is so popular that we're just discussing things in terms of Taylor Swift. I saw that. Um, I think there's an asteroid passing by the Earth, just in case you happen to want to know that. And that so was like, it's the size of eight Taylor Swifts to try to get people to pay attention to the asteroid that is floating by the Earth. So anyway, everyone knows who she is, including my kids, daughters, um, eight and six years old, who um, I was explaining the Super Bowl to today. And I said that, you know, yes, it's a football game, but also... People watch it for the commercials, and there's a concert at halftime. That's what I said. There's a concert at halftime, and they said, oh, Taylor Swift performs? Because obviously if there's a concert, it has to be Taylor Swift, right? So anyway, um, she's all-encompassing right now, and she's driving the clicks and all that. But your rant is well taken. I'm, there's a ton going on out there, and um, uh, you know that's not being reflected in, in prices in the stock market. Um, or really, um, you know, in people's attitudes or, or what they're concerned about, as you said, you know, we're concerned with Taylor Swift and her boyfriend. So um, it's, a, it's a head scratcher, but uh, happy to talk about it. That's why we are here um, investing in bizarro world, as it were. Well, listen, let's talk about the bizarro world. We talked a bit off air. Um, gold is at 2033. Uranium is over $100 a pound. We're going to talk Cameco here in a little bit. Um, they've put themselves in quite the situation and predicament. I, I suspect that Uranium uh, is going to be putting a lot of execs in a noose here over the next 12 to 15 months, specifically from that group. I'm not wishing it on that group, but you have to be accountable for the decisions your board makes. And when you contract to sell at 50 to $60, and you're buying it in the open market at 100, 105, and then you have a co calling a conference call where you openly signal to the market that if there are any large sellers at current prices, you're more than a willing buyer because you don't see your production milestones being hit, which would lead you to not be able to satisfy the contracts that you signed at 55, 60, 65 bucks. That's not a good business model, folks. We're, we have, we have. I was going to save it till later. Can't, can't right make now. it up on volume. Can't make it up on volume. We have the uranium bull market that many of us have waited over a decade for. It's finally here. It's finally happening. And to, to, to decide to go into long-term contracts at a fixed price where you're the seller at $55, $60 is absolutely irresponsible to me. Now, look. I took notes here for once in my life. I made a little bit of a note. <laughs> I do I do make notes sometimes, guys. I joke. Look, I have notes too. They kind of help <laughs> but for every $5 rise above $91, Cameco loses $49 million in negative cash flow. As in, just doesn't just not get it. It loses $49 million. For every $5, uranium could be at 200 in three months. The utilities get out here and get really aggressive and decide that the input cost is so minimal that it doesn't matter if they pay 200, 150, or 110. It's why they've stayed on the sidelines during this surge in the uranium price. And it's just now that they're really coming off and starting to look to procure, you know, long-term deals at, 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 you know, pretty robust prices. So that could get real ugly real quick. And uh, I, I don't think it's a surprise today's Thursday, February the 8th. 
that we had, you know, a, a, a first down day, significant down day in the uranium space in quite some time. I think it'll be short lived, but I think when you have funds and ETFs that are rebalancing and then you have, you know, a conference call like that one where on the surface, the numbers looked amazing, but they look amazing because of the last quarter. I'm really curious what happens three months from now uh, during the next conference call when some of this starts actually working its way onto the balance sheet. So interesting, um, something interesting to pay attention to. And again, it's why I like companies that are debt-free, restarting production and unhedged. And, you know, UEC has done a brilliant job of getting through a bear market, continuing to tell the story, positioning for a bull market, not hedging. And in the words of Amir, when I talked with him uh, some six months ago, he said, I didn't wait 20 years for this market to start hedging at $70 or $75. I'm going to squeeze every single dollar out of my production facilities um, out that I absolutely can. I'm paraphrasing, by the way, Amir, so that I don't get an email saying, I didn't say it like that, Gerardo. He's far more eloquent than I could ever be. But that is, in essence, the spirit of what was communicated in an interview that um, we had together. So, no, interesting stuff. Uranium still looks strong. Um, buy the dips, right? I, 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 I'll ask you what you think, but I'll, I'll paraphrase you a little bit. Uh, when we were talking gold and, and, and when it dipped below the 1900 level, briefly and then it got above 1920 and you said technically that held well it should make another run and you were saying you were buying the dips and that proved to be prudent yeah same with uranium i think is buy the dip um uec's been great i've been to the production facilities in in south texas i've stood with a barrel of yellow cake uh, right in front of me from those um in situ mines down there so um what i want to say about uranium um it's obviously still bullish. We bought the dip in December, late December, early January. You mentioned the ETFs. There was um, a distribution in the ETFs. They actually pay a dividend. And so, you know, typically when those um, stocks that pay a dividend go ex-dividend, they, you know, sell off for a little bit. That happened in the end of um, December and January. They caused, caused the sell-off that we bought, um, added in that case energy fuels. And it's uh, just today back below that level for the first time in a couple of weeks. So, um, today being last week, uh, by the time you saw this, but, um, but nonetheless, um, it was a dip to be added. And uh, I did as much as my portfolio and, and wrote about it in the uh, weekly letter adding on this dip. So uh, for, I guess I'm going to run through the uranium market just quickly. Um, and just from a couple of angles. So we spent a lot of time on the, um, the, the demand side, right? Waiting for Japan restarts, um, et cetera. Um, and now you've gotten even some more news on that front. Like, um, I was reading a couple of weeks ago that the, the large uh, utility in France, EDF, was applying to extend the life of all the nuclear reactors in the UK, for example. Um, and so that's going to, you know, add pounds to the demand side. And there's a whole renewable story there because the renewables haven't paid off. But let's table that for now. Um, and so, you know, this, dominoes continue to fall on the demand side. This is the first thing I was going to say. And, and we sort of talked about that as it happened, as it happened. So now you're on this. Now you're on the supply side, which is what you were talking about with um, Cameco and Earlier this month, on the 1st of February, you know, Kazataprom had their conference call because they're a yeah. public company. And they, too, said they're not going to meet their 2024 production guidance. Um, and not only that, uh, the, the same week, the government of Kazakhstan resigned. And so uh, when you think about, you know, uh, the resource <laughs> market again, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't even bleak nowadays. Things are so messed up out there, folks. 
that I read the headline. I thought it was an onion headline. You know, the 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 onion, right? The satirical uh, misinformation media site. That's great, by the way. They're brilliant. But I thought it was like one of those, like, oh, entire government of Kazakhstan resigns. I was like, yeah, that's why he's like, clicked that. I was like, holy shit, this is real. Well, maybe we can get Borat over there because I'm pretty sure that it was his sister who went from being a, a prostitute to the head of, of Kazakhstan in like three days or something in one of his skits or movies. But anyway, we move on. So the precariousness of the uranium supply side is such that the largest producer in the world is going to miss production this year. And the government of the country that that company resides in, Kazakhstan, just lost its government. So... Um, you know, when you look at resources and you, you have a number on the supply side that you think is going to come to fruition, there's so many things that can go wrong. And, and we're talking about companies that are actually in production here, notwithstanding companies that, you know, were planning on coming onto production. There's all sorts of things that can go wrong with them. So now you have sort of stuff happening on the supply side, including the uh, Cameco stuff that you just talked about, which I hadn't read it to, to get all that uh, level of nuance, but I did see the uh, production guidance wasn't going to be met, was which was the main takeaway for me, right? So um, those are the two main sides, right? This demand side, the supply side, but then there's the market psychology side. And that's getting interesting because um, I was telling you last year that mainstream hedge funds were buying uranium and talking about uranium as one of the few things in the market that was working. Uh, and it continues to get chatter. So my note was that Porter Collins, who I wasn't too familiar with, but I guess is one of the big short guys, um, was at a big conference, Wall Street conference this week, and was asked by a CNBC host what his top conviction trade was for right now. And he went on to talk about uranium at length for um, the precariousness of supply and how we were dependent on Russia. So it's not just, um, you know, resource message boards and, and resource conferences. This is, you know, conferences being hosted by CNBC hosts where mainstream investors are talking about uranium as their highest conviction trade. And so um, that's, you know, helps get you into the next phase of the bull market. And so uh, that's all I really had to say about uranium is that all those dominoes continue to fall on multiple sides of the market. And now you have that sort of mainstream component that continues to come into it. So things are looking good and and, and dips should continue to be bought. Dips should be bought. Um, same in the lithium space. It's starting to look more and more, and it's not just the lithium price, which uh, has essentially been you know flat for the last 30 days or so and, and has even started perking up a little bit here. But the equities are finally starting to, it looks like they're finally starting to bottom, right? We had a capitulation week here um, in the past week where, you know, Patriot got slammed, Sigma got slammed, Albemarle, everything was touching 52-week lows. And that finally looks on a lot of these charts that I see, and I'm not the, the best chartist in the world, but even I can see what a double bottom looks like, right? Nothing like a good double bottom. <laughs> and so even I can see a good double bottom and, and then spot that up. And, you know, the tick higher here recently, Patriot's a great example. It's been a robust bounce off of that. And then you look at some of the macro stuff that's happening and look for all of the doom and gloom out there. LG chemicals just agreed to supply GM more than 500,000 tons of cathode materials, which is enough for approximately 5 million units of electric vehicle production. This will run from 2026 through 2035. Um, and, 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 you know, that'll happen through a manufacturing plant in Tennessee. So clearly the North American lithium supply chain is being developed. It's being developed with real dollars. It's being developed aggressively. 
I think it'll extend to Canada. We've seen indications and 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 MOUs at the very least of Quebec and then other regions emerging as major, major manufacturing hubs. And look, it's going to take more than one or two mines to satisfy the, the 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 demand that's really, you know, clearly, clearly in place. And, you know, I wrote a piece this week for Daily Profit Cycle. You should go to dailyprofitcycle.com forward slash subscribe to read that piece. But I wrote a piece about the JP Morgan report that I read that had basically said that, look, for the next three or four years, we're going to have a surplus of lithium. So I said, okay, a surplus. How big is the surplus, right? Simple guy. I ask simple questions. Bigger than the double bottom? (laughs) Yeah, triple bottom in this case. (laughs) Those are a little harder to work out. (laughs) Not impossible on the right day. So I'm looking at this triple bottom. I go 2024, 2025, 2026. And the surplus numbers, Nick, are 2%, 2%, 3%, meaning the margin of error, if you just take 2% supply out of the market in 2024, you're, you're neutral and you take three, you're at a deficit, right? Let's keep it simple. And that's going to be the case for the next three years. If anyone on this planet believes that every one of the 100, I think it was like 130, 140 or something, um, projects that were in that report that had supplies scheduled to come online is going to come online on time. I got a bridge in Brooklyn that's for sale, y'all, and I'll give you a great deal on it. It's simply not going to happen. It's not the way production happens. There's always hiccups, and I'll take the other side of that 2% surplus for this year, for next year, for the year after that, and even by their own projections, the supply portion of the supply-demand equation is 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 looking great. They're talking something like twenty four percent year over year growth, which even by their skeptical analysts' eyes, they call impressive growth. And again, I think that's being conservative. So I I I, I see a lot of demand. I see a lot of deals that are being inked, big deals, a lot of commitment. And I think, look, I I, I think it's been a brutal six, seven, eight, nine months in the space. It's looking like a serious bottom, folks. And, and, and I know it's been painful for a lot of us that, you know, our long-term shareholders have big exposure to lithium, but I think that's about to turn. And, and, and remember, a knife cuts both ways, folks. It can, it can turn just as violently to the upside as it did to the downside. We've seen that in the space many a time. Yeah, so not a lot new to add there that I haven't said before. The short-term news is headwinds, right? And, and we've talked about that. You just mentioned some deals that, that continue to get done. Um, but if you look at the charts of the Teslas and the bids of the world, they continue to, to not be so great, right? And I think that's one of the things that, that trickles over into the sentiment. The other thing is what you were talking about, the perception of the increasing of supply. And so, you know, anecdotally, I was, I was telling you, I was asking my broker um, if I were to sell some stocks and I take a look at my portfolio and if I were to sell some stocks, what would you recommend? And the, the recommendation came back lithium. And of course, I have, you know, gold stocks in there uranium stocks, all, all commodities, right? Um, so, and the, and the reason was, uh, of course I asked the reason, and the reason is because, and, and I'm pretty sure this was the quote, they're finding lithium everywhere, right? And that's great, you know, I hope it's not in Kazakhstan where the government resigns. And that's sort of one of the reasons I, I gave that example earlier. It's because you hear you've got Cameco and, and Kazataprom, you know, two of the largest producers of a commodity in the world, and they're failing to meet production guidance. And so, you know, you pull that through, pull that thread through to lithium, and you're expecting companies that haven't produced before with assets that haven't been developed 
to come online flawlessly on time, on schedule, on budget, and um, and hit their and hit their production targets, which, like you said, it just doesn't happen, right? Okay. So um, in the mining world, and that's fine. Uh, the equities can trade weak in the, in the short term on on that sentiment and um, you know the perception or whatever, but. I wasn't content to, to sell any of my, my lithium stocks, right? I, I just continued to hold them because I know this is a longer game than, <clears throat> excuse me, short-term um, yep. hiccups. And I guess that that's really um, all I would add on the on the lithium side of things. Like, yeah, it's been a, a, a tough road to hoe recently, and then the sentiment hasn't been great. Um, but uh, the long-term supply-demand picture um, isn't going to be as pretty as whatever report you read, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Agreed. Agreed. Um, gold, gold hold, holding in there nicely. 2033. Uh, this, despite you know a dollar index that again continues to be pretty robust, given you know all of the geopolitical considerations um, that 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 we have to take into account. But the dollar index still firmly above the 104 level. What do you see playing out in the gold space, Mister Hodge? This is going to be a long answer, Gerardo. I <clears throat> I took my drink and some deep breaths. So. Gold is bullish. Gold has been bullish. Um, gold remains bullish. It, it's even getting comfortable at, um, you know, at 2020 with almost a floor, not just 2000. Um, it's got lots of tailwinds. It's got geopolitical uncertainty and wars and, um, you know, a rampant government debt. And uh, for a while it had, um, you know, the expectation of Fed cuts. And, and that's what I want to talk about. Right. Um, we thought we were going to get a bunch of cuts this year, you know, and this is sort of a weird progression of events that I'm still trying to wrap my heads around, <laughs> head around because, you know, the holidays are a weird time and January and February are slow and gray. And I just want to, you know, make sure I understand everything correctly, because in December, uh, around the time when we were going to have a holiday party, which is one of the reasons I want to make sure I get this right in my head, Mr. Powell came out and said um, in a pretty dovish tone, we're going to have three rate cuts next year. Um, and stocks, you know, sort of went to near all-time highs to close the year, giddy that we were going to have rate cuts. No matter that the rate cuts meant that the economy wasn't strong, right? We didn't care about that. We just wanted our rate cuts, and that's why stocks were going up. The data wasn't great. ISM manufacturing wasn't great. Non-farm payrolls have been revised down for, I don't even remember the number, 10 or, 10 or 12 months in, in a row. Um, there was some positive data, but on the whole, it was... Um, stocks were going up because of rate cut expectations, not because of, of fundamental drivers. And then, um, you know, we put up the Christmas tree, we lit the menorah, all that good stuff. Um, we took down the Christmas tree and then the Fed had their January meeting and it's, whoa, wait a minute. We're not, we're not comfortable cutting rates. No, no, no. There's not going to be a, uh, a, a, a rate cut in March. Where would you get that idea? Silly reader. Um, despite us telling you just a month ago that it was a dovish environment and we were going to cut three times, right? And then the gentleman with the purple tie, Mr. Powell, goes on 60 Minutes and proceeds like to talk about... His new, his, his new name is going to be the gentleman with the purple tie. It's not Jerome anymore. Goes on 60 Minutes and talks at length about how they need more confidence in inflation going down to 2% before they you know, even think about... Um, cutting rates like you know cutting rates wasn't the plan uh, it was you know what he was saying and I was thinking to myself are you sure because just in December you were saying that it was and so here's the rub right um, a couple of things 
one, you've got that whole logic flip, right? So um, like you were saying last week, now he's solving a problem that he helped create. And, you know, to 60 minutes credit, they did ask him about transitory inflation and he said he got it wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, here we are. So this is important. Um, stocks initially went down after he went on 60 minutes, like the Monday after, because 60 minutes is Sunday night. They went down initially, but then they went up to all to new all-time highs, around 5,000 on the S&P. Um, that's one thing. Gold sort of didn't do anything. It kind of just yep. Yep. stayed there. It was marginally down for the year or for the for the week, excuse me. Um, and so you got to sort of try to figure all this out, right? What's interesting to me is that, you know, stocks went up not on uh, rate cut hopes now, but they went up because you had that jobs number uh, a couple of weeks ago that was, uh, I wrote it down here, 353,000 jobs on the non-farm payroll versus 185,000 expected. And then you had the Q4 GDP, which was 3.3%. And I talked about how um, you could talk about or you could think about how that number is calculated. Um, or you could just look at that number and know that that's the number <laughs> that's going into all the algorithms and machines, right? And what happens? You have companies like Meta and uh, Palantir, you know, companies with hundreds of billion dollar, if not trillion dollar market caps going up 15 or 20%. Um, in a day, um, in, in some cases, on, on the back of earnings. And so um, this past couple of weeks has been interesting because it's almost as though, not almost as though, you know, for me, the way I think about the markets is, you know, now stocks are actually going up for what I view as more right reasons, right? They're going up yeah. because, it, you know, in the face of rising rates. And so I don't want to ramble too, too long here, but it's it's interesting that you've got to start thinking about changing your position and sort of put all that stuff aside that you mentioned in the beginning, right? Because, you know, you can ramble for as long as you want and you did a great job. I mean, you still have to understand that that's not affecting the prices in the market at the um, at the same time. And so you mentioned the things we need, for example, and like, look at the copper chart today. I had to like do a double take. I mean, it's the candle is like this to the downside, right? Because of slowing growth in China or something. And so now fundamentals matter all of a sudden. And so um, anyway, um, you asked about gold. So gold remains strong. The rate cuts are going to come at some point. It, it remains worthy of buying on dips. But the gold stocks, it, you know, we've been saying that gold stocks are not gold. They've been even worse. I mean, look at a chart at Newmont, for example. And so... Um, one of the things I did was go and looked at like Newmont's last earnings and the and the year over year quarterly numbers like the the the, the net income is down and so if you're trying to attract a generalist crowd um, and there's you know they started with a top down approach and look at some of the, the biggest miners in the world the biggest gold miner in the world and it's got you know negative year over year quarterly earnings and then looking at like a Microsoft or a Meta or something right I mean where's the generalist money going to go and so all that to say that resource stocks gold stocks continue to face headwinds. Um, but you know, there's always the, but the upside, right? If you have the long enough time frame, if you have the capital, uh, the long-term capital, they are going to, uh, overshoot like they always historically done. Um, it's just that, you know, that's been delayed now, right? Um, we've talked about recession, sorry to keep rambling or, or whatever, but you know, with that jobs number that you just got, it's tough to get a recession in the first half because that's a major input to GDP. And so, if you don't get negative GDP growth in the first quarter, then you don't get a recession in the first half. And so there's a lot there. Um, that'd be interesting to see what the Fed says at their next meeting. If, you know, he's sort of, you know, setting you up to, you know, be disingenuous. We'll see. But 
Um, the past couple of weeks have been interesting, and hopefully I, you followed some of what I said there because there was some double speak for sure. A lot, and, and as there always is, right? Um, I think it's going to be an incredibly fascinating rest of the year, um, not just in the resource space, but in the overall markets, the bond markets. We saw some community banks this week, you know, down some 30 40%. Um, th- these rates are clearly... Clearly, and, and and the Fed withdrawing, you know, some of the loan um, vehicles that were available to these banks. Clearly, that's affecting the ability of some of these community banks to continue to do business as usual. And so, I've I've said I don't know what it's going to be, but I've said that something is going to blow up, and that will give that well, the gentleman in the purple tie. It'll give the gentleman in the purple tie the ability and the cover, I believe, to come in and say, hey. Inflation is at a satisfactory level. We're starting to see signs of further deflation. It's evidenced by the community banks. We want to keep our community banks solvent because those are lifelines for a lot of everyday Americans. That's going to be the line they're going to tell you that they're going to give the bankers your money so that the everyday American has a lifeline, right? That's the bullshit line that they always throw out. And I see that developing. And let's see how that plays out the next couple of months. Well, last week you were talking about how the, you know, the, the Federal Reserve guts the middle class. And so that was going to be one of my other points here is a couple of things. Um, on that 60 Minutes interview, Scott Pelley was asking Jerome about higher prices. And he was basically saying higher prices are, are here to stay. Like you don't revert back down. Like once those prices go up, I mean, just think about it. You know, inflation's at three and a half percent right now. Prices are still growing at three and a half percent. They're just growing less fast than they were when inflation was at nine percent, right? Like the prices are still going up. So he was keen to say that like these higher prices are here to stay. Who do you think that affects the most, right? Uh, the middle class, the people who buy, you know, who 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 uh, whose groceries and mortgage and car payment, et cetera, are a higher percentage of their income than obviously the asset owners. Um, and that is the point I wanted to make about the asset owners. So. Um, I mentioned the jobs number. I mentioned the G- GDP, um, which, if you take it on face value, are you know ec- showing economic growth and expansion. And what's buried more underneath that is that a lot of those jobs are government jobs, and a lot of that spending that's propelling the growth is government spending. I mean, that's going to come home to, to roost at some at some point. It's not. Um, you know, like this is organic growth, I guess, is what I wanted to say. And so and you just got to keep that in your mind and know that, you know, as long as this government is content to, to, to keep spending that um, it's going to worsen that wealth inequality is the point. Right. And you've got to be the asset owner because, I mean, just look at the S&P at all time highs as at the same time that all this other shit is going on. Right. So um, last thing is, yes, there's going to be something that breaks. So. Um, have your finger on the mouse, right? Because there is going to come a point where the chairs are going to get taken away. And we, if anyone can figure out when that is uh, ahead of me, I'd be uh, interested to know. But, you know, that's sort of the question right now is you got to be in this market or uh, you're going to miss out on what is clear and apparent upside. So anyway, interesting times. And, and listen, folks, we've said this often on this on this podcast, right? There's more than one way to make money. I choose to do it primarily through in a long-term sense, real estate and in in the stock market and more specifically the resource space. It's my bread and butter. Uh, it's cyclical. I love the cyclicality. It's high risk, high reward. I like that aspect of it. Um, that's just what works for me. But Mr. Hodge is sector agnostic. 
um, our, our talented group of editors and writers and, and, and people that manage their own money um, over a daily profit cycle, they venture in to the major indices a whole heck of a lot of a lot more than I do. And so, you know, I, I think it's a perfect segue to introduce the publication that we teased out last week a bit because that finally went live and is 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 starting to get the reception that it deserves. I mean, look, um, those two gentlemen have put up some solid, solid gains over the past year. I think every name um, has been double digits higher, if not triple digits higher, uh, that they pitched to you when they first came up with the idea for this publication. So you want to talk a bit about that and let people know where they can go if they want some paid guidance on markets outside of what you and I typically dabble into? Yeah, we laid it out last week a little bit. The publication is called Digital Dispatch. It's now live. You can check out the February issue for free. If you go to Daily Profit Cycle, you'll see that uh, issue published on the website. Or if you go to Digest Publishing and then check out the products, you'll you'll see the uh, you know about section and the information about Digital Dispatch. It's run by um, John Carl and, and Chris Curl and. Yeah, um, all the reasons that we just laid out there and, and last week, you know, tech stocks continue to perform um, the advent of, of AI and digitization um, and blockchain and, and all these new sort of tech applications. Um, and the fact that you and I, you know, don't really uh, dabble in that space, despite me being sector agnostic, I still am not, you know, uh, a technophile, right? I'm not you know, the most technologically savvy person in the world and don't spend my time investigating sort of the leading edge of, of, of new stuff. So um, those guys do, right? They're, um, you know, I've been flying drones for years and I've been investing in crypto for years and different types of exchanges and yeah. um, have always been into, you know, computers and, and tech and, and languages and that sort of stuff. So um, it was a natural fit for them. And and they've been doing a great job selecting stocks and uh, the market has cooperated. And, and as I said last week, people are interested, obviously, in, in that sort of stuff, because um, obviously the Magnificent Seven are the most widely held stocks in the market. Right. That's why they're the Magnificent Seven. And so, um, you know, from our position, give the people what they want, I guess. And so uh, we put together Digital Dispatch. It has some of those big tech stocks in there. Um, it will go crypto light. Um, you know, and, and good timing there because now we have, you know, Bitcoin ETFs that, that trade on major exchanges. So expect some of that in Digital Dispatch. And I don't need to ramble on about it. The, the first issue is out and you can go read it for free. So do that. And if you like it, subscribe. And if you don't, don't. Like it, like it. Um, last week, we, we ended on uh, uh, kind of a tease, right? The, 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 the last thing that was on our little list that we create two minutes before we jump on here was the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park, if I got that correct. I know you wanted to speak on that a bit. I would, You said it was a positive story. I'd love to close out on a positive well, note. We've talked gold, copper. We've talked, you haven't talked crypto, but we can save that for next week. It's right back where it was uh, a day for the funds launched, right? But I said that, it was... I said it was a moment of levity. I don't know if it's necessarily a, a positive story, but um, here it is. So um, Lincolnshire, it's a, you know, a wildlife park or, or center in the UK. And during COVID, they took in some birds, some African gray parrots, because obviously lots of places were locked down. Some other zoos had to close, etc. And so there were some birds in need of a home. Um, they took in these gray parrots and I guess uh, one or more of them knew how to cuss and 
quickly taught the other African gray parrots how to cuss and um, not gentle cuss words, not like frick and damn, um, like fucking twat and uh, things like that. So, <laughs> and these what birds the went birds on to like, said, it's not what Nick yes. I said, the and birds are saying this stuff. They call the keeper that they, so they started calling like the keeper that like he would go in to like service the birds or feed the birds and they would call him <laughs> like a fat twat and a fucking twat and shit. And so then they started saying it to the public. And so they had to separate the birds, hoping that, um, you know, they would stop this bad behavior. And at some point, we have to put a link up to the story. They got new birds that didn't cuss and the new birds also learned to cuss. And so they've got like eight to 12 African gray parrots that are just dropping F-bombs all the time. Here's one of the funniest parts and where we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Um, <laughs> separating them clearly didn't work, right? Now all the African gray parrots are cussing. So the current plan is to put them in with the rest of all the other parrots and just hope that they get drowned out. So that's the best outcome. They get drowned out and they hear all the other parrots talking natural parrot language and they just stop cussing and assimilate, right? The risk is that they the teach <laughs> the risk is that they teach all the other dozens of parrots how to cuss and so stay tuned for the next episode of fucking twat at the lincolnshire wildlife center and that will be the title of this week the <laughs> Carl world episode um tim s make that happen please <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny i thought it was hilarious what are you looking forward to this week nick Oh, gosh. Well, we got the Super Bowl. That'll be fun. We're having a little party, um, doing the wings and all that sort of stuff. I don't know what's on the economic calendar, but I've got to be honest. I just wrote my, my February issue of Foundational Profits, and we're getting a bit more long. You know, I'm not jumping into the NASDAQ or anything like that, but um, we are buying a healthcare stock and um, a, a few other S&P stocks. So um, it, moving with the market, I guess. I was telling you last week about uh, not thinking and looking, and so looking forward to do a, a bit of looking, I guess. What about you? I'm most definitely looking to see if this lithium bottom in both the equities and um, the spot price holds, um, or, or you know, I mean, if it's another head fake. I, I suspect that it holds, but we'll see. We'll see. So I'm definitely looking at that. Um, what else am I looking at? It's an inflection point for what it's worth. I mean, even the major lithium ETFs, the Patriot chart, the Sigma chart. I mean, lots of the, the lithium related charts are at places where they, they sort of are technical inflection points as well. And so it will be interesting to watch. Agreed. Speaking of technical inflation points, Bravo Mining, everybody. Bravo Mining should be a stock that you're watching. I still, I still own it both as a shareholder and in the portfolio. Nick, I believe that is also the case for you. Lots have held it since the 50 cent level, have seen it go as high as over $5 Canadian, currently sitting between the 210 225 level. You're a pretty nasty three to four month pullback. Now, the reason I'm watching Bravo is because it's so um, symbolic of what's going on in the entire space. Here you have a tier one deposit that's clearly growing, blue sky potential, game changing potential on a potentially, potentially massive um, nickel copper discovery. And the stock goes down some 50, 60% over the net last, you know, five to six months. So the caveat is this, there's not a lot of liquidity. And we talked a bit off air, Nick, how, look, 10,000, 20,000 shares could send the price up some 50%. It cuts both ways too, folks, you know, and a part of the reason why we've gotten that nasty pullback because of the lack of liquidity, 
You've seen some selling in the market and it hasn't taken much selling. It was down some 20% yesterday on 3,000 shares at one point. That's how illiquid the stock is. But let me reiterate, uh, management and insiders owed over 50% of that stock. Uh, the billionaire gentleman that is the face of that company knows Brazil like the back of his hand. He is a rare breed of mining attorney who is an amazing businessman. And also, yeah, by the way, he's a geologist who knows his stuff, right? So I have all the confidence in the world that management and the asset, much like in the Patriot case, will take it to a point where it's monetized at appropriate levels. The question like the question with a lot of juniors and a lot of the resource space is when we know that lithium's going to rebound. We know copper is going to rebound. We know that a lot of the names that have been beat up are going to rebound. The question is when. So I'm definitely watching for a lot of those technical inflection points, as you call them, Nick, because I think this week is going to decide a lot of how the next quarter or two goes. All right. You're going to get your money's worth of the free <laughs> podcast, a little inside baseball. So. Um, the chart is right at two, actually closed at 2.15 the day we recorded this podcast. I pay pretty close attention to Bravo. It, it can come down a couple of more pennies, but it really does need to hold there. Like you said, um, the volume has been light. So just a couple of thousand dollars worth of buying can, you know, has driven it down here and um, could drive it back up or, or could drive it even lower. If it does go lower, um, I don't think it goes much lower than the 170 range because there's a whole wad of support there. And um, as you alluded to with the, the structure, it's why structure is important, right? There's a ton of, you know, super strong share, shareholders in here and including the management that you mentioned, but also you know, deep pocketed institutions like BlackRock are shareholders because of uh, the management and their previous endeavors. So um, with Bravo specifically, here's why I did not sell and I strongly considered selling. Um, um, they obviously have catalysts coming up, right? Everybody knows they're drilling, they're trenching, uh, all that sort of stuff, right? I think that the reasons, uh, some of the reasons that they sold down were out of their hands. And so one, I look at the price of uh, palladium. They have a palladium dominant deposit, right? This is a PGM deposit and no one talks a lot about palladium. Well, if you just pull up a chart of palladium, you'll see that it's down 45% in the past year. It trades at like $890 an ounce. So if you got a multi-million ounce uh, PGM deposit, you, you know, you're going to trade it with, with palladium prices to, to a certain extent. So that's one thing um, that's not going to last forever. And then the other thing is chalice mining, which is the is sort of like the, the analogous deposit when we were talking about investing in um, Bravo back in the day. It's like, oh, look at this deposit that chalice mining has. Um, it's 10 million ounces of, of PGMs and it's got a two and a half or, or two and a quarter billion dollar valuation, right? Making the case for, you know, Bravo to at least be valued at hundreds of millions of dollars, which it ultimately, you know, has been in, in recent memory. Anyway, um, last fall or late last summer, Chalice had metallurgical problems at their mine. And so if you pull up a chart of Chalice mining, you'll see that it's down some 80% in the past year. And so if you were using that as the analog to the upside, then it's only fair for the market to use that as an analog to the, as an analog to the downside, right? And so um, if you pull up a chart of all three, um, which I was doing this week and looking at Bravo and looking at Chalice and then looking at Palladium, you'll see some of the causes that are outside of the, the company, right? So um, that's why I decided to stick with it. Was there something else I was going to say? I don't think so. Um, so that's it on Bravo. But um, I guess more broadly, um, you know, 
it's been a tough slog in the in the in the resource space and so we've had questions coming in and you know some of the answers are repetitive but it's you know if you're super worried about a position you, you probably own too much don't be afraid to trade around positions you know don't get married to positions and um so that's uh, some of the stuff i've been thinking about and writing about and i won't ramble about it here any longer but you should subscribe to Foundational Profits and Hodge Family Office and Junior Resource Monthly and Junior Resource Speculator to get some of those um, insights and, and market context, obviously. So I think that's it for me. Uh, well said, sir. Well said. That is it for this week. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with Mr. Nick Hodge. This was the 256th episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call investing in bizarro world have a great week everyone i hope you had a great super bowl weekend have a great valentine's out there don't forget that is coming up um get those gifts dinner plans hugs whatever you have lined up ready guys and gals and, and, and make it count as you should every day get outside go do something fun and uh take care of each other y'all enjoy your week see ya Hey there, you independent-minded investor. If you like this video, make sure to tell us so by clicking the like button below. Subscribe to our channel so you never miss another one. And share it with everyone you know on social media. You can also click the link in the description below to check out more information-packed videos just like this one. Thanks for watching.